Um, as we start this morning, I want us to, to focus today on, on, on Jesus as our king. And um, I was thinking about King David. The Bible says that David was a king after God's own heart. And one of the stories about King David that has really kind of captured my imagination and my heart uh, as I thought about Jesus being our king was the story of, um, of the coming king, which I think all the Old Testament is a picture pointing forward to, to what Jesus was going to be and do in the New Testament. But King David was, was our king, uh, the king of Israel, and he had a son named Absalom. And I know our youth have been studying in Samuel and, and have covered some of these stories, but um, Absalom was this son that, uh, that revolted against his dad. He, he had a, a brother who raped a sister, and, and he kills the brother, and then he flees the country. And, and David was crushed by the loss of one of his sons. And through the long story, along things that we don't have time to go into today, but, but um, Absalom is restored to the kingdom. He is brought back by David to, uh, to be in the kingdom. And uh, Absalom decides that that wasn't enough, that he was not just satisfied being one of those in the kingdom. He wanted to rule that kingdom. And so Absalom begins to hang out at the city gate, and he begins to have people who are coming to lodge a complaint with the king. And he begins to listen to these stories and say, man, if I were just the king, things would be different. If I were your king, then I would listen to your complaints and I would fix your problems. And, and, and dad's just too busy to do all that and he's busy doing other stuff. But if I were only king. And the people loved to hear what Absalom had to say. And they felt like they had kind of an inside track into royalty there. And, and Absalom begins to grow in, in uh, popularity. He begins to grow in his power. And it's not long before he... Um, decides to revolt against his dad. He begins to put together this army that's going to come in and conquer his own dad, to usurp the throne and take the throne away from King David. You would think King David being the mighty warrior and being the the king that had conquered uh, so much uh, in his day would have stood up to his son and would have struck him down. But King David instead decides to flee the capital. He leaves behind the throne he takes off with uh, a few of his men and, um, and grieves what his son is doing. Absalom mounts an attack and comes after David. And David's only request to his generals is this, please spare my son. And Absalom begins, the Bible describes how handsome he was and how long his hair was and how that when he would get a haircut, Mandy, it would weigh all this weight and it was just, you know, these locks of love kind of thing, you know. And he's riding through the trees in the forest, approaching his dad, and his hair gets hung in the tree and he actually hangs himself with his hair. And he's left hanging there from the tree. And David's men, who think they're being loyal to David, disobey the order and kill Absalom. And word gets back to David that his son has died. And David is grieved. And he is hurt. And I want to read to you a verse out of 2 Samuel that shows you the heart of a king that loves even a rebellious son. It's 2, Kings, uh, 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, uh, 1833. And I think we'll get that on the screen for you. But it's a, it's a verse that says, And the king was deeply moved. He went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son. And look at these next words. 
Absalom, would I had died instead of you. I wish it would have been me that died and not you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is a king who says to the rebellious, to the son who's trying to usurp his throne, to the son who would have loved to seen him dead, if only I would have died and you would have lived. That's the love of a father. It's the love of a king who would, who would say to somebody trying to take his throne, if, if only I had died instead of you. If only I had been the one that would have died. I think it's a picture of the New Testament where Jesus is going to come. And he comes as our king. And he comes as the one who is to reign and to rule supreme. And we as his subjects rebel. And we try to usurp his authority. We try to take his place. We try to run our own lives and create our own little kingdoms. And it's an affront to God. And yet Jesus steps up and doesn't just say, oh, I wish I could die in your place. But Jesus, our king, actually does so. He comes and he dies in our place. He, he didn't just say, I wish I could, but Jesus came and did it. He died that we might live. And that we might live not a rebellious life or in rebellion to him, but live a life of thankfulness for him. And so today I want us to ask this question. What kind of king is this that came to this earth? We know that he's eternal. We know that he lived long before he came here. We know that he's not created, that he is a part of the Godhead, that he is a part of the three in one, the the Trinity, as the Bible uh, uh, lays that out. But what kind of king is he? We've already covered the fact that he was a prophet. He was the one that revealed the Father to us, that he was now our our priest, the one that would come and redeem us uh, to himself. And today we want to look at this fact that he is our king, he is our ruler. So he is a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king, he's a revealer, a redeemer, and, and a ruler in our lives. And yet Jesus ruled like no other king had ever ruled. Jesus came and did what other kings would not do for their subjects or for their servants. Most kings felt like they existed in order for others to serve them. And Jesus came and said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for others. Jesus turns the kingdom upside down and and, and he turns it and says, as your king, I'm here to serve you. Whereas every king they'd ever known says, you are here to serve me. Jesus comes and reveals to us a king unlike any other. And there was nothing about Jesus' kingship that seemed normal. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons it threw everybody for such a loop. They had, they had waited and anticipated for thousands of years this Messiah to come, and they thought that he was going to be one way. And then Jesus shows up and is something completely different. They had their little picture that, 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 that they had of what the Messiah would look like, and Jesus didn't look like anything they expected. Nothing about Jesus seemed normal. Israel had been promised for a long time this king that would be in the lineage of David who would come and be born and he would rise up and he would rule and he would reign and his kingdom and his throne would endure forever. 
Uh, this Old Testament prophecy that was, that was scattered throughout the Old Testament, there's parts of it that made perfect sense to the Jews, other parts of it that seemed to be so weird and, and, and contradictory even. I mean, there was things in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus coming, and, and in some places it says, oh, he'll, he'll rise from Bethlehem. But in other parts it said, no, he's going to come out of Egypt. And then there's other places that said, no, he's going to be a, 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 a Nazarene coming, living out of Nazareth. And, 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 and the people of the Old Testament struggled to figure out, how's all that going to be? How can he be in Bethlehem and be in Egypt and be from Nazareth? And, 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 and these things don't seem to fit together. And yet Jesus comes, and one by one, Jesus fulfills every single prophecy that the Old Testament had made about him. Think about all the ways that Jesus did that. He comes. And, and first of all, he, he's born to a virgin. This girl who's pledged to be married to this guy, and they haven't been together sexually, and, and, and yet she comes up pregnant. And, and, and so Jesus has talked about even before he's born. Because his mother is claiming that she's never had sex, but yet she's pregnant. I wonder how many other teenage girls <laughs> made that same claim. You know her family doesn't believe her. You, you, you know that Joseph, her fiancé, doesn't believe her because he was considering putting her away quietly. He could have had her stoned, but he's deciding to put her away quietly. And so here's this, this king that is coming, and, and yet even the announcement of his birth, the announcement that, that, he is, that she is pregnant, it, it, it creates this, this scandal in their, in their neighborhood. Mary can't prove anything, but she knows. Joseph can't figure it all out, but then the angel comes and speaks to him, and, and by faith he trusts, and, and this family that the king is going to be born into, while they're part of the lineage of David, they're so obscure in that lineage. It's so far down the line, they had no claim to the throne. Their child had no hope of ever ascending and, and, and literally sitting on David's throne as the king of Israel. That would, would be such a long shot. He was going to be born in the city of Bethlehem, but this young virgin didn't even live there. And yet you see the hand of God, the providence of God, moving the hand of history. Where all of a sudden now it's decreed that, that you've got to go back to your home place and you've got to register for a census. And, and, and that thrust uh, this pregnant woman and her fiancé on, on, on a journey uh, of some distance now to get back to this place called Bethlehem that very few even knew much about. Bethlehem, the house of bread. And they go back there to register. And while they are there, it's time for her to give birth. No family, no fanfare, nothing that you would expect it, uh, to be surrounding a king's birth. Nothing there that you would look at and go, ah, the king has arrived. No palace, just a bunch of hay and animals. Because even in that day, there was no room for Jesus. And they are there, no family no fanfare. Only a few lowly shepherds that the angel of God woke up and said, hey, check this out. 
the king that was born was not born in a palace, but he was laid in a feed trough. And it wasn't long before an angel wakes up his dad and says, you've got to get out of here. See, the wise men had come. And they were seeking Jesus. And Pharaoh finds out that this king has been born. And this paranoid Pharaoh decides that he's got to extinguish this king. And so he tries to find out where, and he finds out it's going to be somewhere in Bethlehem. And, and, and the wise men are supposed to return and tell him, but God warns the wise men. And you know the story. They depart another way, and then Pharaoh decides he's going to slaughter all the babies in Bethlehem, all the baby boys. And he's going to get rid of this potential king that's a threat to his power and his authority. So Joseph is told to take Mary and Jesus and they flee to Egypt, again fulfilling a prophecy that the Old Testament had made that seemed highly improbable. They go there, the baby boys are slaughtered, but Jesus, listen, under two years old and he's already got a price on his head. He's already got people hunting him down. We tend to think that Jesus was only hunted the last few weeks of his life. He was hunted from the very beginning. Pharaoh dies, they return to Israel, but this time they move to the wrong side of the tracks. They don't go back to the king's palace. They don't go back and announce that the king has come. They go to a small area called Galilee, and and they live in a town called Nazareth. Again, fulfilling another Old Testament prophecy that Jesus would be called a Nazarene, that he would come out of Nazareth. Jesus is raised in utter obscurity, it seems. I mean, not even his cousin John knows who he is and what he's come to do. John says, I wouldn't have recognized him if the Spirit of God had not told me that when the Spirit falls on somebody and remains on him, that's the one. So here's a cousin that doesn't even realize who Jesus is. And then his coronation and his baptism. The king's coronation. He's arrived. It's time for him to to begin his, his reign and to begin his rule. And only people present at his baptism are a bunch of sinners who are repenting. And Jesus gets baptized, and, and Jesus does it. And there's so much imagery here that's so amazing. But, but Jesus goes into the water, comes out of the water, into the wilderness for a time of testing. Does it remind you of an Old Testament delivery where God delivered his people, and they went through the water and into the desert and failed that test miserably and spent 40 years there in the wilderness as that whole generation died out. But not Jesus. He went through the water into the wilderness and he passed the test that was, was put there to him. His coronation service was, was just a few that were there. And then he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit to begin his ministry. And Scripture says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. Jesus was a king unlike any other king. He's arrived on the scene. Nobody acknowledged. He comes to to, to do what he's sent to do and everybody rejects him. His claims seem to be bizarre to them. And then those who are running the family business, the, 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 the running the temple that are running the religious system of that day, the ones who are supposed to be honoring his father, Those that are running the family business treat him as if he's some kind of homeless vagrant hanging out on their front porch. 
He's making their people a little uncomfortable. Their customer base is not too excited about him there and the claims that he's making, and they threaten him and run him off and threaten him if he ever comes back. Jesus was the king that nobody knew what to do with. Who ever heard of a king without a castle? A leader with no followers to speak of. A a guy who's going to set people free but doesn't even have an army. Jesus was this king that was unlike any other king. Jesus was a king who came to suffer and to die for his people instead of asking them to die for him. When kings went into battle, the army protected them. When Jesus faced a battle, he protected us. He's the king that's unlike any other king. He dies and he suffers for his subjects, unlike any other king in the history. Jesus comes in need of nothing, yet desiring everything for those who would commit to following him. Jesus knew what his people needed, and that was his priority. He knew they'd been enslaved in in sin all of their lives. Like those who would be enslaved, like like being born onto a plantation, and, and that's all that they knew. Their parents had been slaves and their parents before that had been slaves. And now they are born into a a plantation. They are born into a system of slavery. And the scripture says that we are born into that. Maybe not even by our own choice, but just by the, the choices of those who've come before us. And we are there and we are slaves. And that's the only life that we know. And Jesus has come to set people free from that. But Jesus came as a king who had no place to lay his head. No kingdom just to point to and say, here's my kingdom. Let's, let's get you out of this one and put you in this one. Because the kingdom that Jesus was creating was a kingdom that was not of this world. And that was something so hard for even for us to grasp as we look back on, on that. We, we want Jesus to give us a comfortable kingdom here, to give us comfort and, and health and, and, and prosperity and all these things now. And, and that's our idea of a good God that can give us all the stuff that we want right now. But Jesus says again and again, my kingdom is not of this world. For many in that day, and probably even in our day, Jesus' claims seemed crazy. In that day, they would look at Jesus and say, well, it's just part of the family business. His parents were crazy, and and he's just like them. His parents, remember, they claimed that she was a virgin. Yeah, right. And now Jesus is pointing to a kingdom that maybe just exists in his own mind. You ever met somebody like that? That kind of has a world of their own, and you look at them and you go, okay, yeah, right. You can believe that if you want to. I think that's the way many looked at Jesus, that that this kingdom that he talked about, he's just delusional. In fact, one day as Jesus is ministering to the crowds, his family shows up, and they think he's crazy, and they want to drag him home and kind of salvage what's left of the family name. The kingdom that Jesus came to create was unlike any other kingdom that's ever been created. He comes to set us free from the only life that we know, which is a life of slavery, a life of of, of being uh, locked in sin. 
But Jesus came with none of the bells and whistles that every other king showed up with. No entourage. No great wealth. No great castle. No great kingdom. No great land. He had no place to take them. No army to protect them. No visible means to feed them or sustain them or employ them. Was Jesus delusional? Was he claiming to be the king of a kingdom that that only existed in his mind? Yet Jesus talked like a king. He spoke with authority. He healed and did things that nobody else could do. And he left the people scratching their heads. But Jesus refused to gather an army. He refused to fight like a man, as they would say. How could he deliver them? And what if they chose to follow him and he failed to deliver all that he promised? It was a risk that very few in that day were willing to take. And then Jesus' message took on a whole other level of bizarre. I want you to come follow me as I die. Now that's an invitation people would show up for, right? Get in line behind me, I'll be the first to die and you follow me. And you go, what? What kind of king is this that we have left father and mother and houses and business and and, and, and some of us, even our spouses, to, to follow you and you've asked us to follow you to the slaughter? To follow you to uh, this, this, this promise of something better after death? It just seems so bizarre to those in that day, and it sounds even bizarre as we describe it today. Come follow me as I die. And the few followers that Jesus had left couldn't grasp exactly what that meant. In fact, Peter, one of the most vocal, says, Lord, no way, we'll never let that happen. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. This is why I've come. This is the purpose for for my life, is to come and to die on behalf of those that I am coming to save. And they say, you're going to save us by letting them kill you? You're going to lead us by, by laying down your life? How does that work? What kind of a king are you? We left everything to follow you. What kind of a king goes down without a fight? But unlike most kings who had been handed a kingdom, Jesus came to purchase his kingdom. He was going to purchase his kingdom with his own blood. He was coming to save those who had rejected him. He was going to be a lot like King David who had a, a rebellious son. And, and, and he says, you know what, I'd rather die than see you die. I'd rather lay down my life than to see you, your life snuffed out. And so Jesus comes, and despite the confusion that his claims created, he stayed focused upon the Father's will. Despite those voices in his ear, sometimes of his disciples and sometimes of his enemies, he stayed true to what God had called him to do. And so we've got to ask, what kind of a king dies for his people? Who dies in their place? Who, Who dies in your place? Or in my place. 
King Jesus is the one who does that. Scripture says he came to his own, those that he created, those that he loved, those that he made to be in relationship with, and they rejected him. John shows us that ultimate rejection. And I want you to see this with me this morning in John chapter 18. This will be the main part of our text today. John chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles, grab it. If not, you can follow on the screen or on your phone. But here's the people that Jesus actually came to, to die for. And I want you to see their response. These are the high priests. These are the people who were in charge of the spiritual climate of that day. Protecting and guarding the word of God, the, 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 the Jewish faith. And in chapter 18, verse 33, Jesus has been captured. He's on trial now. They brought him before Pilate. And... Uh, and he's in that process now of being interviewed, if you will, by Pilate. Pilate's trying to sort things out and to see what in the world is going on. Pilate understands that Jesus is innocent. He understands that Jesus is, is, is being brought forward because of the jealousy and the threat that he is to the, to the Jews. And so in verse 33, chapter 18, it says this, So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and he called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, let me just show you the humor in this. The Jews were rejecting Jesus. Pilate is under Roman authority, right? And he's kind of jabbing at the Jews every time he calls Jesus the king of the Jews. This is your king. He's one of your people. He's one of the ones that claims to be your leader, your Messiah, the one that's going to deliver you from all of us. And there's Jesus in all of his weakness. At least... His apparent weakness. And he's standing before Pilate, this weak man, and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus didn't always answer Pilate, but here he says, Do you say this of your own accord? In other words, have, have you figured this out? Or is somebody else just telling you about me? Have you, is, is, is God showing you who I am? Or are you just hearing the rumors and, and curious to know for yourself? And Pilate's answer is, am I a Jew? I don't know your history. I don't know the prophecies. I don't know what they've said. I don't know what they're expecting. I'm not a Jew. You and uh, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. So what have you done? What have you done to bring yourself here today? And Jesus answered, and said, my kingdom is not of this world. Guys, we've got to let that sink in. Because if Jesus is calling us to be a part of his kingdom, okay, we've got to realize that his kingdom is not of this world. We will never fit in in this world any more than Jesus fit in in this world. We will never, ever find this to be the place that God's created for all of our happiness and all of our joy and all of our fulfillment to take place. The kingdom that Christ came to create is not of this world. This is what the disciples still hadn't gathered yet. This is what they hadn't, hadn't grasped yet, is that the kingdom that Jesus came to create was not of this world. That's why he didn't need an army, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the principalities and the powers of darkness. 
It's why Jesus could lay down his life because the battle was a spiritual battle. There was a price that needed to be paid, and that price was spiritual, not just physical. This kingdom that Jesus was coming to create was nothing like the people expected that it would be. And here he says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then I would have gathered around me some servants who would fight. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. So here's what Jesus is saying. If, if what I was trying to do was to establish a kingdom on this earth, then you would have a right to call me crazy. Because I gathered fishermen and tax collectors and nobodies to be a part of my kingdom. I didn't go after the military generals. I didn't go after the people with the great power. I didn't go after people that were rich and famous and had money to bankroll this, this, this massive movement of the purchase of arms and to gear my people up. I, I, if you think my kingdom's of this world, then, then, then you really would think I'm crazy. But if my kingdom's not of this world, then maybe I'm not. If my kingdom is not what, 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 what you think it ought to be, then maybe I'm not as crazy as you think. If my kingdom were of this world, I'd, I'd put people around me that could fight. And if this is what I was fighting for, then I would have my, my men around me, and I never would have been delivered over to the Jews, Jesus says. But my kingdom is not from this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Again, Jesus zeroed in on his purpose, on his mission. And that is to be the savior of the world who dies in place of the lost. My kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. It's not about setting up a throne here. It's not about establishing a a rule here. The the, the rule of David that will last forever is that the son of David, the, 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 the one in the lineage of David, which was Jesus the Messiah, would die and he would set up a throne that would reign and would rule forever and ever and ever and have no end. But that's not going to be done on this earth. Jesus says, I came to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth will listen to my voice. And then Pilate asked this question, what is truth? You know, our world is asking that same question today. What what is truth? Can we know truth? Is there any such thing as absolute truth anymore? Or is it just your truth and my truth and and you live in your world and I live in my world and we'll all just kind of do our own thing and and, and your little group can have its set of truth and my little group will have its set of truth and while one may be daylight and one may be dark, they, they can still coexist together and our world's still asking, is there truth? And Jesus says, yes, and I came to bear witness to the truth. And the truth is this, that the kingdom of God is not of this world. Listen, if you're living for the stuff of this world, you're going to be disappointed in the kingdom of God because it's not of this world. So Pilate grills him and asks him, hey, what, do you, what is truth? 
Pilate goes back outside. He talks to the Jews and tells them, hey, he's not guilty. He has anything wrong. And so he reminds the people, listen to this. This is, this is the second half of verse 30, 38. After he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him, but you've got a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Again, there's that jab. And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. They won't even call him their king. They, they don't even mention Jesus' name, just this man, not this one. But give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Verse chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, again, here we go. This is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And look at the crown, the only crown that he's given. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They arrayed him in a purple robe only to mock him. They didn't do it because they thought he was a king. The Romans didn't care. They did it to mock him. They did it to appease the crowd. They did it to, to torture. These, 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 these soldiers lived for these moments. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. The other Gospels tell us they struck him with the, 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 the stick they had put in his hand, beating the, the thorns into his brow. Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again. And he said to them, to the crowd, See, I am bringing you out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. He was hoping that by the time they saw Jesus bloodied and beaten, that they would have had a little bit of compassion, a little bit of sympathy for this man, that, that he's made some claims that you don't agree with, and we've punished him, and he's bleeding, and he's beat up now. We've, we've called him the king of the Jews. We've mocked him. We've got him in this robe. We've, we've made a ridicule of him. Maybe the crowd would soften. bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. And when the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered and said, we have a law, and according to that law, uh, he ought to die because he's made himself to be the Son of God. In other words, they understood Jesus' claims, but they rejected his claim. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So he entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? I'm a powerful man, Pilate says. And Jesus, understanding the sovereignty of God and the power of God and the mission of God, said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Here's Pilate afraid and yet feeling powerful. And Jesus, looking powerless, but yet as bold as ever. Think about it. Pilate says, I've got the power to release you or the power to kill you. And Jesus says, you don't have any power. God's the one that's made that decision, not you. 
You have no authority except the authority that God has granted you for this moment to do what He has deemed necessary. See, guys, Jesus didn't just slip up one day and get arrested. He didn't just push the envelope a little bit too far and and go, oh, man. Jesus was fulfilling the role of what it meant to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was fulfilling that role. And Pilate thought that he had the power, and Jesus says, you don't have that power. Verse 12, it says, From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Yet, God's plan stood firm, right? So now Pilate's had a little change of heart. Man, I got this guy, this guy's, whew, he, he, he hadn't done anything. I got to let this guy go. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, then you're not Caesar's friend. There's a political pressure. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic called Gabbatha. And now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he says to the Jews, again a jab, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them over to be crucified. We have no king but Caesar. Those were the spiritual leaders of that day who had in their presence the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And their response? We have no king but Caesar. The one they wanted the Messiah to deliver them from. The leader that they despised with all of their heart, they were now proclaiming to be their sovereign. And I look at these guys and I go, how could they do that? When they have in their midst a king that's willing to die for them. A king that's willing to give it all, not for himself, but for them How could they do that? And you know where I find the answer to that? By looking in a mirror. And going, how many times have I been offered the choice between following the King of Kings or following somebody else? And the question is asked, if not audibly, it's asked, what shall I do with Jesus? And I say, give me sin. Give me 
my stuff. And just get him out of the way. Jesus came to be king, but his kingdom was not going to be of this earth. His kingdom was of another place. A place that he has gone to prepare for us. Jesus preparing his disciples said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In the kingdom that I'm preparing for you. It's in my father's house. And there, there's, there's many mansions. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Why? Because I want you to be there with me. That where I am, there you may be also. And that begs the question, where is this place? Where is this kingdom where Jesus sits and rules and reigns? It's in the Father's presence. And Jesus, as our priest, made a way for us to be there. But there's only one way to be there. And Jesus says, I am that way. I came not only to bear witness to the truth, but I am the truth. And I came not just to offer life, but to be your life. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't get to my kingdom except through me. And so we have to ask the question this morning, what will we do with this king? It's the question that Pilate asked. What, what do you want me to do with your king? And we've got to answer that question. What will we do with the king? Here we are at Christmas again. And for many of us, the last thing on our mind is the king. He, he's the one that we're supposed to be celebrating. He's the one that we're supposed to be honoring. He's the one that we're supposed to be following and, 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 and bowing before and worshiping. And we've got to ask this Christmas, what am I going to do with the king? Do I just stick him in the yard in a little nativity scene and call that good? Or do I bow myself before him and give him the worship and the glory and the honor that he deserves? This afternoon and tomorrow and the next day when I'm faced with a choice of who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? Jesus or your sin? Jesus or yourself? Am I going to be like the Jews of that day? Am I going to be like the religious leaders of that day that say, take him away, crucify him, get him out of sight? I just want what I want. Are we going to bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Next week, I want to come back and I want to look at this return of the king. Because you see, the first time Jesus came, he came as the lamb. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. But the Bible says he's coming back as the lion of Judah. He's coming back to rule and to reign. And that his scepter will be in his hand, that his kingdom will be established, that his enemies will be made his footstool, and that Jesus will rule and reign forever. And that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you know what? We can make that confession now and make him our Lord. Or we can make that confession then when it's too late. And we'll look at that next week. 
Because if Scripture is clear about anything, it's, it's clear about this, that the time to turn to Jesus is now, not then. The time to get our hearts right is now, not when He's on His way back. He's the King that came to lay down His life for you and me. But He's also the King that's coming back to claim those who are His own. Here's what that means. That means that I need to be ready. And it means that I need to help as many other people as I can to get ready. That's our mission. Your mission is not to be the savior of the world. That's already been done. But your mission is to testify to the truth that the savior has come. That the kingdom can be yours. Not by your works, but by his grace. Not by your own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ. That he took your place on the cross. That you might live. What are you going to do with the king of the Jews? Do you just want a casual relationship with him? Ah, we'll just keep him out in the yard. Let the neighbors see that we like Jesus. Are you going to fall before him and worship him and follow him and leave everything, everything to make yourself his? Jesus says, come and follow me. And that's his call. And then he walks off and he dies. And he calls us to do the same. To die to ourselves every day. That we might live for him. And in doing that we bring him glory. And we bring him honor. And we testify to the fact that we belong to him. And he belongs to us. He is the king of all kings. The lord of all lords. Every other kingdom will rise and will fall. The heavens will one day be shaken. The stars will fall from the sky. The, the sun will grow dark. The moon will not shine. Much like it did on the day that Jesus died in your place. I was listening to a podcast this week. And the pastor said this. He says, when Jesus hung on the cross for those three hours in the middle of the day and the sky turned black. You know why it turned black? To hide the nakedness and the shame and the guilt that Jesus bore on himself for us. Jesus died for you. He died for me, that we might live forever with him. He is a king unlike any other king that calls us to be his, that gives us an inheritance and promises us a place at the table with him forever. What will you do with that king today? I would encourage you to do this. Make him your Savior and Lord. Invite him to come and cleanse you and forgive you and to make you his. And ask him to give you the strength then to follow him, the courage to follow him every day, anywhere he might lead. Let's pray.